Man, I'm just, I'm just reminded, and this is something the Lord reminded me this week, actually. You know, that as we walk, as we walk with Christ, you know, as we, our daily walk, we will face situations, circumstances, something And may not be this week or may not, but we will. If you haven't already, you will face a situation where, and and all I, I said, God, I do not have an answer. I don't see a way out. I don't know what I can say to make things different. But then right after that moment of confusion, I have to say, God, I trust in you. That's why you see it. That's such a powerful though. The whole idea of confession is just a reminding to ourselves. We all know it, but we remind ourselves sometimes. We remind ourselves of the goodness of God, His love for us. And when I'm pushed to a corner and I don't see a way out, I still say, I trust in you. You see, that's what David does. You see, a lot of the psalmists, they do that. They are brutally honest. God, I'm beaten down. I'm, you know, I'm cornered. I'm in a corner. I don't know what to do. But you see that they don't stay there. After that is that confession of the goodness of God and the majesty of God and everything else. It's a choice we have to make. Not to dwell on the situation we are in, but to dwell and keep our hearts and our minds focused on God who's above every situation. I trust in you, God, even though it doesn't make sense. Amen? Amen. This morning, I want to start something. Uh, I'm going to start something that I will finish in three weeks. I promise I will not keep you here the whole time, though. Right? But I want to encourage you to follow through on the next couple of messages, too, as we go through it. And if you're not here in person... Uh, BJ normally puts it up sometime in the early part of the week. And so follow along with it because this is really something that I was trying to put it all together in one message and it wasn't working. So follow along in these next three weeks as such and they kind of all flow together. And and it's just just something, like I said, it's just something the Lord laid on my heart and uh, just... Open your hearts and your eyes. And this morning is just like a brief introduction of what kick-started this whole thing. The truth is and the fact is and what we're talking about is growth because as humans, it's just a fact in life. We will grow. We will all grow in some form or fashion. Every second we live, we all grow older than We've ever been before. And I think that happens and ought to happen in our spiritual lives too. Not just in our physical lives. But here's the thing that challenges me. is because many times as believers we settle into what I call maintenance mode. But you've got to realize that God has not called us. To maintain status quo. What he has called us to do is to grow in him. To grow. The word, the Bible uses the word mature. Another place they say develop, you know. And the end product is all. We all know what the end product is. Is to be like Christ. 
to be more like Christ. I know that's one of my main prayers. One of the prayers I make almost every day, if not every day, is to be more like Christ. And so if I ask you the question, and I want you to think about this real careful for a couple of minutes at least. How did you become more like Christ last year? What would your response be? Take a minute to think about it. I don't know if you've already thought about it, but how did you become more like Christ this past year? I've read the Bible more than I ever than ever before. That's great. It's not a bad thing. I got baptized in water. Great. I started speaking in tongues. Great. I prayed for someone and God answered that prayer miraculously. That's amazing. That is good. Again, I rejoice with you and I encourage you. But you know, and you've heard me say this and we know this already. As much as the gifts of the Spirit are evidence, are the fruit of the Spirit more evidenced in your life? As much as I desire and you desire to grow in the gifts of the Spirit, we need to desire to grow in the fruit of the Spirit too. We need to grow in order to become more like Christ. We need to learn to love Him more, love God more. I know Sam and me were having this conversation. It says, how do we love something if you never know what it is? How can you love something that you do not know? And like I said, if you really stop to think about it, you really can't have one or the other in order to mature. You're going to have both together. Because you can, to mature as a Christian, you need both knowledge as well as love. And you may sincerely love God. But if you do not back it up with the growing knowledge of God, your love for God will be very shallow. And I know a lot of people like that who've had a real experience with God and they get saved and they're on fire for God for a while. But they depend mainly on the experience rather than a knowledge of who God really is. And then when things get hard, they fail. On the other hand, we know this already. We've talked about it unless... Your knowing God leads you to loving God more. All that knowledge is really no good. And I know a lot of people who fit into this boat too. And you probably know people too. They know a lot about God and they know a lot about the Bible. A lot of theology. But their lives are not really transformed into the image of Christ himself. There's no real love for God or love for his people. And that's what I really want to focus on in, in the next couple of weeks. It's about knowing God and loving God and how these two things are distinct from each other, yet we cannot separate them from one another. Because those are the, kind of like the two pegs on which we, those two legs on which we are to stand. You cannot have one without the other as you live your Christian walk and grow and mature these two ingredients are probably the most important ingredients that you can have as you grow in Christ to become more like Christ and this morning is just a, kind of like a brief introduction as such and I've titled my sermon 
working out your salvation working out your salvation and I know it's a challenging uh, some people get confused and I know I was confused about this as a young Christian but as you read the word and study a little more you realize what I'm talking about here and the scripture portion I want to use is found in Paul's letter to the Philippians if you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 Philippians chapter 2 and just verses 12 and 13 I'm going to I'm going to use that verse as a launch uh, for what I'm going to say in the next couple of weeks, basically. Philippians chapter 2, and it's just, we'll get into the whole context of it in a minute, but most of my scriptures uh, as we go through are from the Living Bible or the Message, but this one I'm picked from the NIV right now. It says, verse 12, Therefore, again, this is because of conclusion of what he said before. And if you notice, Paul always writes, therefore, a lot. Therefore, my dear brothers, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed. Okay, obedience is, is a given there. As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Now he says, continue to work out. Your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His, His good purpose. Amen. The things I want to focus on really this morning really is this whole idea of work out and work in. Mm -hmm. Who does the working out part? It says you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And who does the work in? It's God who works in you. Work out. Work out your salvation for it is God who works in you. And then the ultimate purpose is, uh, is revealed to fulfill His purpose, His plan for your life said, if you want to live your life according to God's purpose, you've got to learn how to work out your salvation as God works in you too. Just a big background. Getting, We know Paul's writing to the church in Philippi here. And many people, most people, of course, call this letter the letter of joy. Because you see this whole idea of joy repeated in this theme. Uh, this theme of joy repeated again and again in the book. And I know we talk about joy and happiness in different terms and rightfully so. But just for the purpose of today, I'm just going to use them interchangeably here. Because the pursuit of joy, I mean the pursuit of happiness is, is one of the key, uh, what can I say, key features of life in America itself. The Declaration of Independence includes that sentence. What? Life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Now that's great. There's nothing wrong to desire that. But we know that in practicality, in real living, many people or most people pursue happiness which is dependent on the happenings around them. They feel happy because everything else around them is happy. But we know that happiness that's based on the situation and the circumstances around us are very temporary. Because when everything is going good, we are having fun. 
we're excited, we're happy, joyful, whatever. But when things turn bad, we end up negative and frustrated and depressed and basically unhappy. But we know how the joy and the happiness that the Bible talks about is never dependent on the situation that we are in right now. The joy and the happiness that we have is solely dependent on who Christ is and what he's done in our lives. Not just the fun stuff that God gives us, you know, the toys that he gives us to play. But the whole idea that he called us out of darkness into the light itself. That's where a happiness is based on, on who he is and what he has done in our relationship with him. Relationship with him. Happiness is not something we go looking for. And I say this all the time. It's not something and joy is not something that we go looking for. It's something we create because it's a choice we got to make. We can choose joy in the midst of the most depressing situation. We can choose joy in the midst of everything, that train wreck that's happening right now all around me. It's a choice we make. And of course, that's what I said. Everybody considers Paul and this letter because the whole idea is actually repeated like 17 or 18 times in the Bible. We know the context of the book itself. He's writing this letter from prison when he's writing this book and most likely chained, physically chained to a guard next to him. I mean, prison is bad now. It's way worse back then. Yet he writes about joy because it's a choice that he makes. Talk about the church itself, the people he's writing to and the city he's writing to. Of course, we know that the church was probably led by uh, Lydia. But what happened to Paul when he went there the first time, it wasn't a good, it was one of the worst missionary trips he had. Because he was beaten, he was humiliated, wrongfully imprisoned, and then there was this earthquake. And, you know, at the end of everything else, his religious leaders just say, hey, just leave and go. Like I said, it was one of his roughest trips or missionary journeys, yet he still talks about joy. What is he doing there? He's making a choice not to focus on all the negative stuff that's happening around him as he's writing the letter. He's making a choice not to reflect and think about all the messed up stuff that happened when he was there in that city. But he's choosing joy in the midst of everything else. And that's the broader context in which he writes this letter and that's the context for us too, in a sense. We've got to choose joy and not dwell on all the negative stuff around us if we want to walk with the Lord. Amen. And then he comes to chapter 2 and of course is this amazing hymn and the song that Paul writes about Jesus. And, and, and in this hymn, in this song, he basically unfolds the whole idea of what we call the incarnation, the whole idea of Jesus becoming man. And he ends this hymn with this amazing declaration right before these verses. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above all names. That at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue acknowledge or not that he or Jesus Christ is Lord. And so he writes this beautiful hymn and it just culminates in this amazing proclamation about Jesus. And then right after that, he says, now continue to work out your salvation. 
You've had this experience. You understand what Christ has done for you. And now you're all pumped up and excited. Yes, this is a Jesus who God has exalted to the highest place. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that he is Lord. This is the one we have accepted into our lives. And now he says, now that you have a hold of that concept, now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out. Continue to work out. Continue. It's not something that happens at one time. Please understand, if Christian life was just a one-time event, that's not biblical at all if you think it that way. It's something we work on all the time. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His purpose. And I know growing up, And you probably heard people who always say, hey, Jesus changed my life. And very often the question is, how did he change your life? How did Jesus change your life? Did he just, you know, smack you at the side of your head and everything, you forgot everything you did and now you're living a new life? It's such an easy thing, a cliche we use all the time. Jesus changed my life. But what does that really look like? What does, what does it, I mean, what should it look like in your life? You know, some people say you just wait on God and it's not, um, it's a balance. Some people just say, wait on God and God's going to work it out in you. Or some people say, if I have to change, I've got to do it all. But the truth is, it's both. You can sit on your couch and do nothing. Again, I know Sam and we were talking about it, about the same thing. It's very easy and I think Chandler was there too. It's easy to be a Christian when you're just sitting on your couch watching TV, I mean, watching all the great messages online or whatever. It's very easy to be a Christian, you know, sitting on your couch. It's only when you have to go out and deal with sinners like us who will mess with you and tempt you and everything else, you know, make you mad. That's when you really got to live a Christian life. It's easy to work out your salvation sitting on a couch and listening to all the great messages online. So when you get into the real world, that's where you really grow. That's where it, the necessity for the fruit to develop is in the real world. And so he says, you know, continue to develop, develop, uh, continue to grow this whole work that he has started already. What am I supposed to do in order to grow? That's a question you've got to answer for yourself. I can't tell you. Grow, spiritual growth is a fact. It is part of God's plan. And of course, there's this whole understanding here. Again, it's our part. It's a partnership. Something we do and something that God does in us too. And the ultimate reason is so that he'll work out his purpose in our lives. We work out, God works in. Again, please be careful. It does not say work for your salvation. Please, that's just there. You cannot work for your salvation. You can never earn it as such. Salvation is all God. You got to realize he's writing to Christians already. He's not writing to unbelievers here. He's writing to a church who know what salvation is all about. Now he's saying keep going, keep going, keep developing what you already have. You have the sense of God working in your life. You've seen and understood what God has done through Jesus Christ in your life. You've been born again. You're saved. Now start growing and work out. What it means to have Jesus in your life. I mean, think about it. When you go out 
and start working out. And this, when I read this illustration, it made a lot of sense to me. When I start working out, I don't work out to get a new body, a physical body. I work out what I already have to make it better. That's what he's talking about. I mean, it's like a puzzle. When you work out a jigsaw puzzle, you have all the pieces. And then you work it out. Now think about it in spiritual terms. God has given you everything you really need. He is going to keep working. He's not, okay, you, know, you got it, now go away. No, he's still going to be there, guide you. His hand is still upon you. He's still going to be there with you. But you've got to go figure out the puzzle too. Work it out while God works in you. Here's the thing. I like it when he says, work out your salvation because each one of us has got to accept that responsibility Amen. to grow. I cannot depend on my mother's prayers and her spirituality to grow in my life. I can't depend on someone else's spiritual walk with God for me to grow in my life. The responsibility is yours. It is individual. Amen. Work out your salvation. Some of us are very good at trying to work out someone else's salvation, right? Because they know exactly what they should be doing and the way they should live their life. And I can tell you exactly, right? What you need to do to become more like Christ. But he says, work out your salvation. Thank God he is not interested in cookie cutter Christians, disciples. Because it would be really weird if everybody is absolutely the same. Work out your salvation individually. God's want. The point is this. We have got to take the responsibility too. Take that responsibility and with fear... And trembling. And of course, we know this is not talking about being afraid of God as such. We don't even have to fear. And I say this, uh, I can explain myself more later if you're confused. We don't have to fear the way I grew up that I would, every time I messed up, I'm going to lose my salvation. That's why he has grace. Now here's the question. If you don't display the fruit consistently, I'd ask the question, are you really attached to the vine? Now you can claim and do whatever you want to and say the right things and everything else, but you are judged finally by the fruit you bear. Amen. Work out your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Again, it's not for us to be scared and terrified. You're already part of God's family. He's not going to abandon you just because you make a mistake. God is not going to cast you out just because you make a bad decision. But you need to take your salvation seriously because it cost him everything. Amen. Don't play around with salvation and think it's just a choice. You know, today I choose to be a Christian. Today, I'll, the next day I'll choose to do whatever I want to. That's not real salvation. God has not begun the work that he's done in your life then really. Amen. Take it seriously. That's all it is. That's all it really means. When I, I see it that way, fear and trembling, you can get into the... Real words separately. But for me, it's ultimately this. Take your salvation seriously. For it is God who works in you. This is God's part. And it's kind of interesting where he says God works. You know, it says work out your salvation and God works. The word used in English, we use works. It's two different words. I was looking at the Greek. The Greek is two different words. The first word uh, is dependent on us. The second word actually comes from this word where we get energized. God works in you. 
And it hit me, the energy, you know, that energized. God is the one who energizes. That's the whole idea of the Holy Spirit. Where does that power come from? It's the Holy Spirit working in us. That's what energizes us when he says God works in you. God is the one who energizes you to change. Yes, you may have the desire, you may have the will, but it's ultimately God who's going to come alongside you to make lasting change in your life, to help you grow. God is, this. basically, this is what he's saying. Hey, you work out your salvation, okay? Work out your salvation. You keep working at it, I'll be the one that gives you that energy and everything else to get it done. You can't depend on you, you got to depend on God, but you've got to do your part. Work out your salvation. Three things that I have here that God uses to bring about this work in us. I'm going to start with that part. Three things that God uses to bring about the change and the growth and the maturity and the de- uh, developing us into Christ's likeness. This is what God uses. Number one, there's no dispute about this. It is the word of God. Amen. He uses the word of God. To develop and to grow and to work in us. The whole Bible, we know Timothy 3, 16, 17 talks about the inspiration where the whole Bible is given to us by what? The inspiration of God. It is useful for what? To teach. Teach us what is true. To make us realize what is wrong with our lives in order that we can straighten ourselves out sometimes. Yes, God works in us, but we've got to do it. Help us do the right thing. And basically what? It helps us prepare us for what the world is going to throw at us. The word, the Bible, if I can say, changes our lives so that our patterns, the way we live our lives ought to change too. But it's the Bible that brings about God, uses the word of God to bring about that change. If you want and you are serious about changing your life and growing in Christ and even developing and maturing in your Christian walk, read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it, and finally live it out. The more you can get of the word of God in your life, the more your life is going to be changed because it's God's primary tool in growing us and developing us and building us up. I know people people have come to me and and they've said, I don't have faith like so-and-so and and I don't have faith like so-and-so. And And I says, are you reading the Bible? I say, yes. I said, that's all you really need, faith in Christ. Don't look at someone else's faith. Read the word. That's what builds faith. Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing what? The word of God. All the experiences are great. They'll encourage you and everything else. But there is no substitute for God's word. Because that is his number one tool, if I can use that word, to change and develop and mature us in our life. The second one, again, these are not one over the other. They all go together. Number two is the Holy Spirit. The Lord uses, if you can say that. He gives us. Not just uses, He gives us. That's His promise, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us. He puts it in us. And that's where the power comes to change. Willpower can only get us so far. But depending on the Holy Spirit, which is the power of God that lives in us, will bring lasting change and maturity. Romans 8, 11, I'm going to read it from different translation. Once the Spirit lives within you, He will bring to your whole being new strength and vitality. 
God will bring power into your life. The Holy Spirit, again, please, it's not a thing. It's God himself. Part of the triune God that we worship. He comes into our lives and transforms it. As much as the word transforms our life, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us gives us the power to transform our lives. 1 Corinthians 3.18, it says, as the Spirit of the Lord works with us, we become more and more like Him. More and more like Him. God's number one purpose in life is not to make you happy, but to make you more like Christ. Genesis 1.27, and I, I always think about this. When God created man, he says what? Let us make him in our image. Unfortunately, I think part of that image was destroyed in the fall in a sense. And I'll, I know there's a whole theological, but get where I'm going with this. It's after Christ that God is still trying to, if I can say, reprint his image of his son in our lives again. Allow him, the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit because that's the ultimate goal to work in you, to transform you into the image of his son. God's plan is to guide us in through that change, change, development, maturity. It's all going together here through to guide us through his word and give us the power through his Holy Spirit. The word guides us and the Holy Spirit empowers us in our growth and our seeking after Christ himself. You read it and then he, the Holy Spirit, empowers and brings it alive in our lives. That's what God intended all along. But sometimes we read the word and we don't allow it to change our lives and the Holy Spirit himself. And that's when I think God goes, I say it flippantly there's the plan God always has a plan and he sends people and situations in our life that force us to change sometimes and grow up God uses the word he uses the Holy Spirit but he also uses the situations circumstances and people around us to build us up to guide us to make us grow make us grow problems pressure stress everything has a way of getting our attention Getting our attention so we focus on God more. Romans 8, 28 and 29, you know, it says, and I'm reading this again from the living. To those who love God and are called according to his plan, everything happens, fits into a pattern for good. For God chose us to bear the family likeness of his son. Realize that nothing in your life can happen without, really, without God's permission in a sense. Life happens. We choose to walk away and we are affected by the fallenness of life itself. Never say that God is the one who's punishing us. God is the one who's forcing us to go through something like this. God is not, God doesn't intend things like that. But what he does do is take situations that are bad and make it and use it to conform us into the likeness of his son. That is like, please understand, God has a purpose in our lives. And he'll use, when we don't listen to the word or listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, sometimes situations in our life happen so that he gains our attention and pushes us back to direct our attention back to following him. I don't know about you, but I know I've learned that lesson several times. 
you know, I know what the word is saying. I know what the Holy Spirit is prompting me to do, but I still go do my own thing. And then it slaps me in the face. And then I realize, oh, man, what an idiot. Now I got to come back. God will use situations all the time. He will use situations to get us back to him. The likeness, the whole idea is, again, remember, is to make us more like Christ. If he's going to make us more like Christ, he's going to take us through something that Christ himself went through. You know, I talk about it. Jesus was lonely at times. We will be lonely sometimes. We go through the season. Jesus was tempted. We are also tempted. There are times where he was tempted uh, like to, you know, eat whatever, turn the stones into bread and everything else. He was tempted in every way. We have to go through that thing. It's through those things that he overcame. And we also have sometimes have to go through those things in order to get to where Christ wants us to be. We know this already. He's more interested in our character than he is just in our comfort. I've got a few scriptures here. Hebrews 5.8. Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Why do we want to take a shortcut through that? Jesus learned obedience through suffering. How do you think you're going to learn it? You've got to be special and different. Hebrews 2.10 says Jesus was made perfect through suffering too. How do you think we're going to be made perfect? It's through suffering sometimes. That's why I struggle with some of these other new people who just, you know, they name it and claim it and everything else, you know. We're made perfect through suffering. Jesus himself went through that. Why, why are we? Just because he went through it, we don't have to suffer through it. Yes, true to an extent, but God uses those things to refine us into his image. Allow the Holy Spirit, allow the word, allow the Holy Spirit, and allow the situations in your life. God takes them and uses them to conform you into his image. Let me say something here. God, if he chose to, he, can hum- he has a hundred, probably a million ways in which he can humble us if we are not humble ourselves. You know, the Bible, because we have good intentions. We want to be humble, but soon enough, we have our own thing, you know. And God can choose if he chose to. Thank God he will never humiliate us. But he allows us sometimes to be slapped in the face so that we realize we're not all that and we really depend on God. God uses his word. He uses the Holy Spirit and he will use painful situations in our life. Sometimes hurt, hurtful situations in our life. So that we can come back to him, be formed into his image. You know, and I like what someone said, you know, God allows thunderstorms in our life so that we don't get stuck in one place. We got to grow. Okay, God works in us. Now our part, how do we work out? And I think really this is what it is. At the end of the day, like physical, in our physical lives, the choice to, working out is a choice we make. It's the same thing in our spiritual lives too. If we want to develop our spiritual lives, we've got to make the choice to work it out. Work it out as such. It's a choice. I have to do my part in changing me. Growth is not automatic. It doesn't just come. It's something we have got to choose to do. Three things, three choices. Number one, I choose to renew my mind. All I'm talking about right here is making a conscious choice on what I'm going to think about, what I'm going to dwell on, what I'm going to meditate on. It's a choice we make. That's one of the things we are to do. What am I going to allow to consume the way I think? 
All the negative things that happened in my life around me, what one person said, what's happening at work, the situation I'm in right now. Am I going to allow those things to consume me because I think about it and think about it and think about it? Or am I going to allow God's word, meditate on his word to beat the things around me? I can choose to renew my mind, like I said. Proverbs, it says, be careful what you think about because your life is shaped by your thoughts. Someone said, you aren't what you think you are, but what you think you become. Your thoughts don't just direct your lives. They are your life. That was interesting. Our thoughts not, don't just direct us. They become who we are. Let's think about it. If you put up what you are thinking about and spend your time thinking about it, that's exactly who you are. If you take time to think about it, it's true. We have got to make the choice to renew our minds. Choose what we are going to think about. Ephesians 4, it says your mind must be renewed. And this is again, by a spiritual revolution so that you can put on the new self. You just got to get this whole mindset changed. We know the saying, you know, we got to get rid of that stinking thinking, right? I know it's cliche and cute, but that's honestly the truth too. We have got to change our minds. We've got to make a choice on what we're going to think about. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. By the renewing of our mind. Psalms 1, it says, blessed is the man who meditates on God's word. Philippians 4, it says... Think on these things. And he goes and lists a whole list of stuff that we ought to meditate on. Colossians 3, it says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Uh, Psalms 119, it says, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. Joshua 1.8, it says, the secret of success is to meditate on God's word day and night. Meditate. That's a choice we make. We can choose what we are going to think about. That's how. We play our part. Spending time consistently on the, in the word, like I said, reading it, meditating it, will change your life, will bring the growth you want. The second thing, that, second thing that is our choice, the second, what I say is our part in working out the salvation, the second thing we can do to work out the salvation is to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. If you call yourself a Christian, and I know I'm making a kind of blanket statement here, But if you say that you are really saved, God's spirit is in you already. When God's spirit is in you, he makes you sensitive. He talks to you in ways. There'll be a hundred and a thousand different competing voices in your head. But you have got to choose to listen to the promptings of that Holy Spirit. He will. If you love God, he will speak to you. There's something inside of you that will bring up, you know, come on, this is what you got to do. He will prompt you. He will lead you. Choose, make the choice to depend on God's spirit moment, every single moment of your lives. Every single moment of your lives. And again, it comes to that whole question, that whole parable of the, the vine and in, in, in John where he talks about, you know, if you remain in me and I remain in you, that's what he's talking about. No branch can bear fruit unless it is connected to the vine. Amen. Now think about it. That's the Holy Spirit within you. This is what hit me this, uh, some time back. The fruit is just evidence of what's happening inside. 
Now I can choose to plant a tree and then buy fruit from Walmart and staple it or tie it to the tree, but that's fake. Too many Christians try and do that because we're all about that show of that fruit. But the truth is this, the fruit is just evidence of the Holy Spirit working in you. You've got to choose to give in to the voice of the Holy Spirit, to depend on the voice of the Holy Spirit that's within you. He will talk to you. That's what the Word of God says. Don't ever say, I'm not spiritual enough to not hear God. I don't think that's true. You read the Word, He's talking to you already. Now tune your hearts and your minds to listen to that sense. Be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit too. Because He speaks to you. Allow, depend on the Holy Spirit. Renew your mind. Think, choose, make the choice that you are going to think of what you're going to think about. Make the choice to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And the third one is going to say is choose your response in the situations that are going to be thrown to you, at you. You can't pick what's going to happen in your life, but you can choose how you're going to respond to those things. Again, it ties in. They all tie together to the fruit that is evidence because of God working in your life. How are you going to respond to the things that happen in your life? I mean, we know what James says basically, and I'm paraphrasing this whole thing. When all kinds of trials come into your life, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until endurance is fully developed and you become people of mature character, people of integrity with no weak spots. Please realize, first of all, it is a process. It's not a one-time thing. Now I got saved and that's it. My life is kumbaya. No. It's a process. The Word, the Holy Spirit, the situations around us. God is doing His part. We've got to do our part and make the choice on how we're going to respond in these situations. Make the choice to think and what are you going to think about. Make the right choice when it comes to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And make the right choice in the way you're going to respond to the situations you are in. Work out your salvation. Work out your salvation as God works in you. That's the fruit we're really looking for at the end of it all. Bow your heads with me. Please, no one can do the work for you. You have got to take. You have got to take that decision. Make that choice. Again, it's not, please don't think it's all you. No, it's God working in you. He empowers you. The word directs. The spirit empowers us as we grow. In Christ. But we have got to make that choice too. It's always a partnership. It's like missions and the Great Commission. Yes, God can open out, tear the heavens apart and tell people about who He really is. But He chooses us to partner along with the Spirit to tell others about Christ. It's the same thing in our lives. It's the same thing in our lives. 
God is not going to abandon us. He's not going to just, you know, save us, given us the puzzle pieces. And now he says, hey, figure it all out. Now go do it. No. As much as I have to come and figure things out, he gives me the power. He energizes me. He is what comes, you know, comes alongside me as I figure things out. Please don't misunderstand me. Don't try and take God's place. I'm not even suggesting that. But please don't say, okay, God's going to do his work, so I don't really have to do anything. Paul uses the analogy of an athlete and how he trains. A soldier, a farmer, there is work done. You have take personal responsibility. I know that's something I learned as a young Christian, really. I mean, I didn't know that. But as I grew old in my later teens, I realized my mom is such an amazing prayer person. And my dad got saved and he was into this and everything else. But I realized I can't. And I did that as a young person. I depended on their prayers. Please don't I mean, answer my mom's prayers. I know she's praying for me. No, you realize as you grow, you have got to take responsibility for your spiritual growth. have you become more like Christ this first month of 2020 or you can go back 2019 or you can go back as long as you want have you grown in knowledge but that knowledge hasn't transformed into love love for God and love for those around us Are you really, and let me ask this in sincerity, are you just standing there and trying to tie fruit that you bought from another store? Or are you allowing the fruit that is, the fruit is evidence of what's happening inside of you? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the fruit the Bible is really looking for. You say you're a Christian, people are going to mock you, but they'll also come to you. Don't give them fake fruit. Real fruit, fruit that'll last, the Bible says. I was talking to someone just this past week and I told them it's easy to be peaceful on a nice beach in Hawaii. But when you have peace in the midst of chaos, that is real peace. That comes from Christ. That comes from renewing your mind with the word. That comes from allowing the Holy Spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit. That's the fruit we're talking about here. In a couple of minutes, we're going to partake of communion this, this morning and 
part of what we do here is just a reminder of what Christ has already done for us. But please, today as you come for communion, please remember this is not a one-time thing. As you partake, you are committing to growing with God too. You're committing to allow the Word to change you, the Word to develop you, the Holy Spirit to work in you, to refine the things that are to be gone and to make you more like Christ. This is not what we work for. It's about working out what he's already done when he says it is finished. I want us to meditate on that a couple of minutes. You've got to make that choice. God, I want to be more like you. your eyes on him allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart even now this table is opened it's a reminder reminder of what he has done for us and if you know what Christ has done for you and you're confident in in the salvation that he has given you. And if you're committed to growing in him, I encourage you to take that step out, get into the aisle, come and receive the elements and we'll, we'll partake together.